0: Hi, podcast listeners. It's Marie Tapman here, and I have a confession to make. That is that I'm a nerd. Now, before you roll your eyes at that comment, I think you should know how I found today's podcast guest. I was actually reading published papers on marketing science, as in the peer-reviewed academic journal called Marketing Science. And I stumbled upon one of the papers that she co-wrote. Our guest today is Aurélie Lemmens, and she is not just an expert in customer analytics, but she is in fact the Academic Director of the Expert Practice in Customer Analytics at the Erasmus Center for Data Analytics in the Netherlands. <laughs> that was a mouthful. But before we play the interview, I'd like to remind everyone that this podcast is brought to you by 4 and Half Marketing Agency. We have been helping property managers with owner marketing since 2012, from strategy all the way to implementation. Visit 4andHalf.com to learn more. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. Part of why I'm so excited about this is You are an expert in the topic of customer churn, and you've literally written peer-reviewed papers about this. Now, for our audience members, property managers, can you give us a bit of a background on what's this concept of customer analytics and the kinds of research that you and your group are doing under that umbrella?
1: Yes, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, so um, you can have many definition of what customer analytics is because it's very broad, right? But what if, I, if I would have to pick one, I would say, so the idea of customer analytics is basically try to leverage as much data as possible that you have about your customers. And they can go from various stages of the customer journey, right? Going from uh, customer acquisition or even before that, when the customer is visiting the the company website or visiting your store, if you have a store, uh, when he's signing a rental contract in the case of the uh, rental context, uh, when he's uh, finding complaint, for example, when he's calling the customer care center, when he's responding positively or negatively to a marketing action, all the way to the moment that the customer will say, you know, I'm canceling my contract and I'm gonna do what we call churn, right? It's gonna leave the company. So you're gonna basically try to leverage all this data with more or less sophisticated analytics in order to be able to do one thing. And that's to decide what's the best marketing action for customers at a given point in time, because it can change at different moments, of course. So ideally you wanna find out what's the optimal action for this particular customer at a given point in time. And that's what we try to do basically.
0: Yeah, it it sounds very like technical, right? And kind of Mm highfalutin whenever there's the mention of analytics or data. Um, And so, you know, the paper that that I read that you wrote, we co-wrote, was all about, you know, customer churn and maximizing profits using kind of churn analytics. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of what that study was about for the benefit of our listeners?
1: Yeah, I think that there are two, if I have to summarize, there are two main points that, that you, need, you need to understand. First one is the notion of what we call incremental lift. Basically, that's very simple. What you want to know is uh, what is going to be the impact of my intervention as a marketer on the customer behavior. And by impact, I really mean what's going to happen with the customers that would not have happened if you would not have perform this action, right? And that sounds very easy. Of course, it's a little bit complicated because you never observe both situations, right? Either you choose to do something or you don't do something or you do A and you don't do B, right? So but there are methods that allow you to actually see what's the impact of, of doing something. And that's the first thing. So this notion of incremental impact. And then the second notion that's actually very central to the paper is the fact that all the customers are different from each other. So we want to we call it celebrate heterogeneity. So, right, we want to recognize that every customer is different. And basically, once you know how they differ from each other, you can actually start going, like I said before, you can start uh, designing an action that would be different for customer A than for customer B. So that's basically the two things uh, that, that, that we cover in that paper.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And another takeaway that I had from the paper was the commentary on how most companies, when thinking about churn, focus on doing something about uh, identifying the people who are most likely to churn kind of as a first step and then trying to figure out what to do to keep those people from leaving. Um, However, the paper was very... Um, clear that, that this may not be the most logical thing to do. Can you give us a bit more um, intel on that?
1: Yeah, sure. So so I, I think it, it's, it's very natural. So if you, you know, and it's coming probably from, the problem is probably coming from the data you have about the customers, but also from, from simple uh, heuristics that you might have in your mind. So it would be very tempting to say, you know, uh, we know which customer is leaving the company and uh, we can characterize them in terms of, you know, are they more males, females? Where do they live? Mm-hmm. Uh, how long have they, been, have they been with the company? And then once we know these, rela- these relationships and we can say, look, let's focus on the customers who are leaving and try to retain them. And that makes a lot of sense. Right. So when we have this data, we can do that. But the, the problem, of course, with this strategy is that you might then try to retain the customers that have the highest likelihood of leaving the company and these might actually be the customer that are the hardest to retain because maybe they already made up their minds right so it's a kind of a of a of a, um, of a dance with the customers where you need to try to find out uh, maybe not the customer with the highest probability to leave will not be the best target but th- those who have a very, very low probability to leave maybe also not because those customers maybe are happy and will stay with the company so it's more like the customers in the middle right those where where you see say okay they might be leaving but there's also some possibility for us to intervene as a firm so what you need to do there is to try to uh to predict what will be uh, the responsiveness of the given customers to your to your intervention and maybe some customers will respond more positively than others and that's what we want to figure out
0: yeah so basically right um focusing on people who are kind of on the fence because people who are most likely to leave may have already made up their mind. So maybe it's a waste of resources to try to save them. And then on the other spectrum, people who are least likely to leave are gonna stay regardless of what you do. So why kind of spend extra on them? So it's the people in the middle. And so it's kind of like a bell curve, right?
1: something like that yeah and then and then from from the research i've been doing but of course it's very much uh, context specific so that we cannot uh, generalize those insights but actually found out for half of the customer base you actually have a negative impact if you if you target them so so actually there's only the first half and and we need to see who these customers are so that really depends on the context but basically there is a whole half of the customer base that 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 doesn't react positively if you target them, and it can either be that you know that maybe they, they really don't like the, the fact that you that you do something, but it could also just be that they react positively, but simply the cost of contacting them and what you offer them is going to be greater than 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 the benefits of doing so, right? So if you give them a, a discount or or you send them a gift, maybe this gift is actually more expensive than than the benefits that you will get from. doing so so that's also something of course that comes into the the equation and the cost of the intervention yeah and does that
2: go into um the sleeping dog portion of the paper that you mentioned where it it might be easier to for people the cost might be on our side but it might also be on the people's side where if you intervene with them they might even remember that they're unhappy, or, or you're just bothering them and they
1: don't want to deal with it. Could it be something like that? Yes, it can be something like that, especially if you, uh, if you keep contacting them, right? Suppose that they are really on the top of, of your priority list that you say, oh, these are the people who are really going to leave the company. So let's let's try to contact them and, and make sure you know they stay. Maybe at some point they really get fed up, right? There is this research that shows that the more you contact the customers, the more they will hate you, right? So you should right. also be careful over there. So you're Uh, almost like shooing them
2: away sometimes. Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. yes. There's a lot of industry where there is a lot of inertia. Customers are just, you know, they have a contract, but they they even sometimes forget about the fact that they have this contract. So you don't want to make that too salient for them. Mm -hmm. Do you think at some point you have,
2: can it get so specific that you're making decisions based on the individual client? Do do you ever see that where you can get so granular that you kind of gauge the individual and not group them does that happen or are you usually able to put them into one of those buckets
1: yeah usually it's 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 in buckets right so 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 uh, so in practice you do have an estimate like per per customers but but i think to be realistic the what's what's more realistic is to just group them into segments and say okay these are the customers maybe my top 10% and this is what you should do with them. And, and especially because also your, your intervention or your you know mar- your marketing action might not be tailored to one specific customer. So maybe what you can consider is to have two different marketing actions, one for group A, one for group D, and then you, you segment a customer base like that. That could also be an option to do that tonight.
0: Yeah, and on, on the topic of kind of sleeping dogs and how there are some people where if you contact them, either they're more likely to turn because they get annoyed um, and then for some other people yeah you get to retain them but the cost of your retention effort your intervention was more expensive so you end up on a net loss um, but it, it in that sense right like how do you then figure out like which people are worthy of um, your intervention without a high risk of the business waking up the sleeping dogs or you know, um, just losing money on people who are going to stay anyway?
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, it's important to define what kind of KPI you want to look at, right? Because I was saying, okay, maybe some customers, you know, it's not worth it. But it could also be that it's not worth it in the short run. But maybe by contacting them, you still build more of a long term relationship with the customers. Right. So maybe it could be that the the gift of five dollars is is not going to make a difference in the short run, but maybe, in the long run, these customers are going to have a higher customer lifetime value, as we call it. Right, so that could be so. That's first one thing, right? We need to define a good KPI for for the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something important. And then second of all, once you know what the KPI is, the the easiest thing you can do is to have a small what we call A/B test, or randomized control trial, where you put basically half of your customers randomly chosen. Uh, you give them uh, a specific retention intervention, for example. Let's say you're going to send them a, thank them a thank you email. That would be one option. And then the other group, you, you don't do anything. You don't contact them. And then,
2: we've,
1: then you get the data later on about, for example, what's the customer lifetime value in group one, in group B, at the individual customer level. And you can start comparing two groups, which allow you to do two things. First of all, to see if, on average, sending this thank you email was profitable, was a good idea to do. And then second of all, try to see what are the customers that in in each of these groups that actually react best, right? So try to see based on the characteristic of these people, what are the customer traits that make a customer more responsive to to this thank you email, for example. That's a little bit how you proceed.
0: Yeah, and so when a company uh, or a business owner is trying to do something like this, like analyze what subset of customers um, respond to a number of different kinds of interventions. Um, You mentioned about resources, like how does a company decide on a budget for something like this? Like how did they budget for the tests? I'm, I'm imagining the budget for the testing is separate from the actual like campaign once they have the insights. So what does that look like?
1: Yeah well the, the beauty of this testing is that it will give you an, an an estimation of how much profit you will be able to generate once you uh, decide to roll out the campaign at the at, at the customer base level so based on that then you can you can figure out what's the best trade off for you right how much money do I want to spend given the 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 return you're going to bring me and then, and then then it's up to the company to decide how much customers they want to involve but usually the the first experiment so the a b test is is on a very small scale and you don't need a lot of customers in order to be able to find out okay what works best what doesn't work and for which customer does that actually works so that's a bit but also some action that actually very costless right so sometimes Sending the email, I mean, doesn't need to cost a lot of money, right? Uh, maybe you're going to send the email anyway, just that you're not going, not going to change the content of that email. You're going to say something in that email that actually will make the customer react more positively than, than by not saying that that's something. So in that case, the cost is even zero. Then if you see the impact is positive, you can roll you can it out. Right. So,
2: for example, if I'm a property management company and um, my property owners are up for an annual renewal, they're renewing their agreement, we might not send anything or we might just send a thank you, a thank you email. Or we might send a thank you email to one group and a thank you email with a gift, uh, a a gift link or something like that. Uh, Does that, is that a test you would suggest doing? Or would yes. it fall into that category?
1: Yeah, and, that would be a good example.
2: What would be the smallest sample size? Like, I guess what, what is the threshold? How small can you go? Because we do have, um, I mean, there are property management companies that have 5,000 clients and then there are property management companies that have 50 clients. So, yes. um, my understanding is you don't need a huge group, but what is too small?
1: Yeah, that, that's uh, if you want me to go technical. That basically depends on what we call your effect size. So just to give you the intuition, basically if you expect that uh, your your email is going to have a huge positive impact on, uh, on on retention, for example, then you don't need a lot of customers to, in order to be able to you know to see. To, it. To, yeah. uh, if the impact is very small, then you might need a bit more customers in order mm. to be able to figure out what's the effect exactly. So, and it also depends on the variance of this effect, right? Is there a lot of differences between, a lot of heterogeneity between your customers. So these are all things. But of course, if you have a very small company with just 50 customers, maybe the whole idea of A-B testing is not so relevant anymore. Maybe then it's more like you go to the customer, you talk to the customers, and then you figure out there on the spot what's the best strategy, of course. Like the idea of customer analytics is usually more often applied to cases where you don't, you are not directly in touch with each individual customer right. of the company. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. thank you.
0: Yeah, and so um, based on your experience, I mean, because you are an expert in customer analytics, not just with customer churn, um, have you um, seen any differences in how B two B Versus B2C companies should think about customer churn. Um, Because, like, you know, property management is such a unique business in a sense that uh, the kinds of clients that they work with can be a mixed bag of like intentional investors who primarily think of their rental portfolio, their rental properties as like a business enterprise, right? It has to make money. You know, what I put in has to, you know, make sense. And then they, tend to view the relationship with a property manager as B2B versus the other type of owner, which is accidental landlord. So maybe the inheritance of property, they didn't really set out to build a rental portfolio, they happen to have a house to rent out. And so they may look at the relationship with the property manager more as like a B2C, right? So um, any insights around the difference of the two?
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. There are probably a lot of differences. So, so the first thing I would say is that uh, we should first look at the reason to churn. I I believe so. So it could very well be that uh, the reason why a renter is going to churn is going to be very different than the reason why a property owner is going to churn. So first, figure out what would be the most likely drivers of churn in those two groups, and then based on that, see what would be then the best way to intervene right. Like. I don't know the industry so well, but I can imagine that in terms of the poverty um, owners, uh, it's much more about nurturing the relationship with the, with the property owner, right? So you make, make sure that he's happy, satisfied, try to involve him maybe in the, into into the strategy of the company and and, uh, and maybe encourage him to be part of the strategy, right? So these will be maybe things you could do. Uh, while with the individual land, renters, I don't think that's something they would be interested in, but maybe they're you know a reason might be more like the price of the rents these kind of things uh, and and there you might then think about different type of of retention intervention for those customers so i think the the what uh, the what you want to do is going to be quite different in both contexts and that you can figure out by actually looking at the drivers across different contexts
0: what's interesting is you mentioned um you know, like as an example, perhaps, you know, an owner client may want more nurturing in the relationship. Now, most people, when they hear nurture a relationship, their brain goes to Oh, more communication, who doesn't like communication. But earlier in this interview, you mentioned that, you know, there, there is kind of communication fatigue, where people just get mm-hmm. sick of you. And so in, in your research, and your experience, like, is there some kind of threshold where people are only okay being contacted so often? Or does the kind of communication matter, the method uh, or the platform?
1: Yeah, I think it's very much about the quality of the communication, right? So um, there's maybe one example I can mention in a very different context where we work with a a charitable organization. And there, what we do to encourage donors to give money in a fundraising campaign is what we do there is to let the donor decide for which projects we want to give money to, right? What is the causes they want to give, uh, they want to donate money to? And by doing that, you actually give them a sense of agency. We call that so we a sense that they can actually decide how the charity is going to invest their money. So in a, maybe in the in the rental context, that would be a situation where you can involve the property owners into deciding what would be the the strategy of the company and maybe they feel therefore more engaged into the whole process. And this kind of quality of communication might actually help rather than hurt uh, in terms of, you know, hitting the customers with the company. So just some guesses, but uh, I guess this is very important uh, to not just send, you know, these very annoying emails, but more like very meaningful emails to the to the customer.
0: Yeah, because I believe the trend that's happening now is to try to find efficiencies, right, in communication. And so what has happened is, oh, more communication means like more times the owner just gets notified of various things. More touches. More touches. But what you're saying is not all touches are created equal and you can't just rely on the automated notifications and count that as communication. What you say when you say communication is actually like, You like um, types of communication that engage with them, right? Rather than this passive, like, "Hey, this happened," or like, you know, "Hey, it's Easter, happy Easter." Like, you know, it it needs to actually connect with that
2: substance. mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that might be something different for different customers, right? So some might like some kind of communication and others, other kind of communication. And that's something that you can figure out by experimenting as well, if you have sufficient uh, you know, customers to experiment with. So
0: again, it's about celebrating heterogeneity
1: uh, between your customers.
0: And so uh, another concept that you brought up earlier in this interview was customer lifetime value. Now I know that's also part of your expertise. And um, I'm curious to know how tightly does customer lifetime value relate to a conversation about churn? And is there enough of a separation that it deserves its own
1: like podcast interview? So, so, so churn is part of the customer lifetime value. So the customer lifetime value is a, is a forward looking metrics. Of the, uh, of the future revenues or cash flow that the customer will generate with the company, okay? So that takes into account two, two things. First of all, the, you know, the, 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 the revenues that they'll bring into the company, but also how long he's gonna stay with the company. That's the retention part, right? So basically that's the combination of those two things. Uh, am I gonna stay for five years? And if I stay for five years, how much money I'm gonna bring in during those five years? So CLV is the combination of both retention and transactions basically. And, and it's into the future, right? So it, so people often make the mistakes of saying, you know, let's look how much a customer has really spent with the company and that's gonna be the customer lifetime value. But that's not very relevant because what we wanna know is how much they will spend in the future. Uh, so that's much more important.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think that's like what common sense would tell me that, hey, how do I compute customer lifetime value? Like, well, look at how much they spent In the last how many months or years, and then multiply that by how long I think they're going to stay. But now that you mentioned it, it's like that does make sense. Like, how much do I perceive they will
2: spend more,
0: right? Um,
2: That's and what do I have to spend to keep them for that period of Mm -hmm. time? Yeah, that's really smart.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I think like because in your paper you mentioned that. to focusing on the churn number, which is like, oh, let's just lower the churn KPI. We want a churn rate of this much is a small part of the story. What's really important, right, is, well, how much money is there going to be on the table after I expend I ex- expend this time and effort to try to lower the churn rate? And so... Um, You know, like since we're on the topic, I'm really curious, like, is it um, complicated to figure out like how much the customer left in value will be like in a more realistic sense versus just basing off of how much
1: they have spent in the past? Oh, that's as complicated as modeling uh, churn, you know, these are two, <laughs> two things that are quite complicated. But the, the good news is that the past is quite predictive of the future. So you, you, you can actually use past information, plus some maybe other information about the customers and some marketing action that you're planning to put uh, into action. And, and that, will, that will help you to predict how much customers work in the future. So it is possible to, to, to do this kind of analysis at the same level as you do it for the churn um and indeed uh, everything else equal i rather uh, target the customers who has a higher expected lifetime value than a customer who has a low expected value right it's not it's not just about the churn probability or how much you can change the churn probability but it's also whether this customer is actually going to spend more money or the same amount of money than then uh, yeah because it could also be that you you know you're going to retain the customers but then it's going to go to a lower level of revenues that would also be an issue potentially, right? So. Yeah,
0: like a downgrade.
1: Yeah, a yeah, downgrade. But maybe it's better off, better than not keeping the customer at all. That, that depends again on the cost of the action.
0: And that's all for this episode of The Property Management Show, brought to you by Four and Half Marketing Agency. We have been helping property managers with owner marketing since 2012. Visit fourandhalf.com to learn more. That's F O U R A N D H A L F.com. Hopefully this interview is turning gears in your head and hopefully it can impact your business for the better. If you are enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a rating or review on the listening app of your choice. Thank you and see you next time.